Judges chapter 4, please, tonight. We are going to be studying Deborah and Barak. How many of you have heard this story before? Okay, cool. Like half or maybe more. I want to set this up a little bit. I'm going to be pulling down a false dichotomy without going into the philosophical etymology of the word dichotomy. Let me just say this. We have presented ourselves with two extremes often in the body of Christ. One extreme in this false dichotomy is this, that women are not called by God to do very much at all. And immediately I get some snickers and a laugh from my wife. Okay, that women aren't called to do much at all. Right? Maybe just make sure that the color of the drapes match the pillows on the couch and don't get sad during a thunderstorm right make fresh coffee how many of you know that's not biblical here's the other end of that though that for a woman to do something for the lord means that a man abdicated his position that's false as well are you tracking so when god does use a woman Many times people say, well, it's just because a man didn't obey. The reality is, as you follow along in audible scripture, (laughs) happens all the time. You know what that tells me in this church? That tells me that people are actually reading through their Bible this year. Thank you, God. Yeah. But that is a false dichotomy. That's not true. God does use women. God uses women all the time, and it's not that God uses women because he can't find a man. Hello? All right, all right, I'm going to help us out with this here. How many of you remember that song? I do. I mean, I'm old enough to remember it. Uh, Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. And then the reply is, no, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Right? And how many of you remember that was actually a Broadway show? Uh, it, Annie get your gun I think it think it was and the whole theme of that show was really about uh, Annie Oakley and Frank Butler Frank Butler was Annie Oakley's spouse and Annie Oakley was quite a quite a shot she was quite a shot she was better than her husband and what made the the whole entire Broadway show funny was that constant tension back and forth between who's better than the other person. And with God, there is no tension. In fact, since the cross and the giving of the Holy Spirit, God uses both male and female equally. Hello? Equally. Galatians 3.28 in the Bible states, there's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free man. Okay, we all agree with that, right? We all, we all agree that God's people are now also Gentiles, not just Jews, right? And we also all agree that none are slaves anymore, that we are all free in Christ. Amen? Good? Good? All right. Well, then can we agree on this? There's no longer male nor female, right? For all are one in Christ. All are one in Christ. And then Joel 2.28 that gets fulfilled in the upper room when Peter comes out in Acts chapter 2 and preaches, says this, that God would in the last days pour out his spirit upon all flesh, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, right? Yeah, 
Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So we are going to read in, about in the Old Testament about how God raised up a woman to lead. And if anybody has a problem with women speaking on behalf of the Lord, let me just tell you this. This sermon is actually going to end with Deborah preaching to all of us. Chapter 5 of Judges is Deborah's song. And she is preaching to everyone. So if you have a problem with that, when we get to that part of the sermon, just get up and go home. Go, go get an ice cream. It's okay. Come back next week. I love you. It's nothing to divide over. But let me just tell you this. There are moments in the Bible where God uses women to preach and teach. And you're going to hear a little bit of that tonight. That doesn't mean this is a feminist church. And it doesn't mean we're chauvinists either. It means that there are things that God calls women to and men to. But at the same time, God can use anyone to speak. And we get this attitude where it's only guys can do that. And I'm here to tell you, God used a donkey to speak. So don't be one. Don't be one in thinking that God can't use anybody. And that's not to diminish women at that level. It's to say to think that way is at that level. Okay? Judges chapter 4, verse 1. You're going to see this word again. Why do we see it again? Because we're going to see it's a never-ending story. Uh, I, watched that, I watched that movie so many times with my kids, you know. But we're seeing the same story repeated again and again and again. Rinse, repeat. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud, remember the left-handed guy? Remember the guy with the withered hand? Remember the guy who actually had an, um, an impediment yes the one that guy god used to kill the king we're going to hear another story where god uses the least expected person the person that everybody thinks is weak as actually the person well there's actually two people that god uses that is so unexpected that it actually turns the tide of the story because how many of you know god uses our weaknesses to defeat the enemy right all right so after he died the israelites start doing evil again verse 2 so the lord sold them into the hands of jabin the king of canaan i want you to understand that the language here is poetic the genre here is poetic god didn't actually sell his people as if they are chattel as if they are property okay this is figurative language that helps us understand that god is releasing title He's releasing claim. The people that were his decided they wanted evil again more than him. And what God did was as he stepped back and said, okay, I'm going to release you. If you want to be a slave again, that's your call. That's up to you. But I want you to also see that God in his grace and in his uh, divine providence and his prescience too, can see the future in that if he releases his people to an enemy for a short time, it will draw them back to a place of repentance and speaking to him again. So he's not releasing them because he hates them. He's not releasing them again because he wants to re, uh, 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 unleash some revenge on them. He's releasing them to actually get an opportunity to buy them back. And if you really want to see a whole entire book in the Bible that tells that story, Read the story of Hosea, where God constantly, through the prophet, causes him to buy back again and again and again his wife, 
Gomer. Amen? It's a really neat story. So God actually releases his people to this Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth at Hegeum. Verse 3, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now we're going to see in just a moment, and I know we're all adults in here and that's important. And if you're watching online, be, just, just, uh, just take a little care here. Uh, we're going to go into some of the background here where this, this king and his general, Sisera, uh, did some very ungodly things to, to women. And you've probably not heard this taught before because you've probably not been in this deep of a Bible study in Judges. But this particular general actually was notorious uh, for, 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 her, for raping women. Okay, And you're going to see that in Deborah's song. You're going to see that in just a moment where Deborah actually sings a song about how he wasn't victorious in that anymore. And you're going to see in just a moment. Can I just give you the... Can I give you... <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever been on YouTube and they're like... Um, don't go watch the movie. Here's, here's all of the what? When you don't go watch the movie, and we're going to tell you how the movie ends, what do they call it? Spoiler alert. Here's the spoiler alert for the story, right? Ready? God actually uses two women to kill them all off. <laughs> oh, I just think it's cool. Okay, I guess I better get back to work here. Get back to work, Glenn. Okay. Verse 4, now Deborah, a prophet, watch this, the, she's a prophet, right? The wife of Lapidoth was leading Israel at that time. W did you read that right? Did you, did, what did I just read? She was leading Israel at that time. How was she leading Israel? She held court under, a palm, under the palm of Deborah. Um, they think they know where this spot is still to this day in Israel. Um, I'd love to show you tonight if I had time, a picture of Mount Tabor. Uh, this is uh, this is right between Mount Precipice would be would be in Nazareth, Mount Tabor, uh, and then uh, you'd have uh, farther to the north Mount Hermon, and then over here you'd have Mount Moray where where Saul was killed. Uh, right across from Mount Tabor would be Mount Carmel, and there's a deep valley there with a river that flows through there. Okay, and there's a palm tree that Deborah would meet and she would prophesy, and she was also a judge protecting Israel through prophetic word, but also if people had a dispute or an issue, they would come to this palm tree and she would speak on behalf of the Lord. Wow. In the Old Testament, not the new. Okay. Now we need to break down these names because you've probably heard before that Deborah's name means honeybee. That is one school of thought. That her name means honeybee. Now, as a reference in the Old Testament and New, anytime bees are mentioned, they're usually the enemy. They're not mentioned with God. So if that is the case, then God is really saying uh, this is a very aggressive enemy. I don't hold to that school of thought, even though I've preached it and taught it in the past. I think there's better interpretation of her name. Her name in the Hebrew... Uh, is made up of three consonants. The Hebrew language doesn't use vowels. Those vowels were placed in later, okay? That's why the Hebrew language is so guttural, okay? It, it sounds like you're coughing a lot when you're speaking Hebrew. Um, D, B, and R. And then vowels were placed in for Debor or Debar. And then we would translate that later into Debarah, okay? Debar, what does Debar mean? Debar means 
fiery word. This is closer probably to her prophetic calling, and it's closer to what she is doing by prophetic nature and unction of the Lord. If you look at her husband's name, very interesting too, and that's what I want to draw together here tonight, that God actually brings people together for callings, and they balance each other so that they rely upon each other in the Lord to get done what God has called them to do. Um, her husband's name, Lapidith, means fiery torch. So imagine this for a minute. You have somebody who has a fiery word, and she's married to someone called fiery torch. You have the truth and you have the light together in a marriage. And notice, I want you to see that in the story, when Barak starts to cower, the general of the Israelite army or the Hebrew army starts to cower, you don't see Deborah going, well, I'll lead the troops. She doesn't take that place that belongs to a man. Are you, are you hearing me? There is a balance to this. She doesn't take that place. Also, we hear that she is referenced in the scripture as the wife of Lapidith. In other words, Lapidith is the leader of the home. Come on. The Bible doesn't flip it around and say, well, Deborah, the leader of her household, went and no, 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 no. Deborah, the wife of Lapidith, you won't see in the Old Testament or New, you won't see the husband mentioned as the spouse of a wife. But you'll hear the wife mentioned as a spouse of the husband. Why is that? Because when a household was represented scripturally, it was a man that was represented first. Now, we do have an instance in the New Testament where Paul takes two names, Priscilla and Aquila, right? And so, Are you with me tonight? Are you good? Some of you are like, you're, I don't really care. You're baking my noodle. The steak is too thick, Pastor. Just get out a better knife, okay? Rightly divide the word of truth. In the New Testament, Paul does mention Priscilla with Aquila and mention her name first. But this is not because he is talking about the home. He is talking about Priscilla's ministry. Are you with me? I want to give you a basis tonight that there is a place that God has for men and there is a place that God has for women. But in both of those places, God has called both men and women to preach and to teach and to share and to minister. Not one to go out and do all the ministry and one to stay home and make sure the coffee's hot. If you believe that, then you'd have a real problem with Jesus telling Martha what he did. You don't know that story? I mean, come on. He let one sit at his feet, which would mean Talmudin. Talmudin means student. He let one be the student, and the other one worked like crazy in the kitchen. And he said to the one working crazy in the kitchen, she has chosen the better thing, to come here and learn from me to do ministry. They weren't learning from Jesus just to have facts. They were learning from Jesus in order to lead. If you tell the body of Christ that God can't use women, you've automatically cut out 70% of the church already. And let me tell you something, the devil loves that. I hope you're with me tonight. Hope you're seeing that there's a balance. That there is a place for a man and a woman. That God does expect a man to be the priest of his home. We will all stand. I will stand before God before my, for my home. God's not going to look to my wife for that. He's looking to me for that. 
But there are things that he's called my wife Sarah to do in ministry that she had better do. And she won't be able to stand before God with some false dichotomy and say, well, my husband was the one called to do it all. The Lord's going to say, no, I put my same spirit, the same one that rose Christ from the dead, I put it in you. Not just him. So I want you to see in the story that Deborah doesn't lead the army. And Deborah isn't mentioned as the leader of her home. That doesn't mean she doesn't fight, and it doesn't mean she doesn't preach, and it doesn't mean she doesn't minister. Huh. It's the Hebrew way of indicating that she has identity and God's plan, but she still has place, and so does her husband. Can I just say that staying in your lane is awesome? It's awesome. Verse 6. So she sent for Barak, and I'm going to paraphrase here. The Lord... The Lord, uh, the God of Israel, commands you. She says this, Go take with you 10,000 men. I will lead Sesera into your hands. In verse 8, Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, watch this. She said what the Lord told her to say. Barak came back with, um, I have to say this in a church way, a very weak answer. How about that? How about that? It was his answer. It was his choice. It wasn't that God was picking Deborah over Barak. God was saying to Barak, here's your role. You're still supposed to lead this army. And he says, well, I'll go if you, if you go with me. I don't want to go to the bathroom alone. Will you go with me? <laughs> Will you go with me? Can we go together? Yeah. And the result of his... The result of his decision, we find in, and, and, and we find in the in the story that Barak now learns from Deborah. Fine, you can have it that way. I'll go with you, but the glory is going to end up. And the story of the glory is going to end up about a woman, not about you. That wasn't God's intention. That happens a lot, though, today, guys. It happens a lot today. If you want to know why there is such a slant in the body of Christ today with women doing so much in the body of Christ and seeing so much of the blessing of God and the power of God through His Spirit, it's maybe because God did call you and you said you wouldn't do it unless somebody else did it with you. And God just called you. Can, can I tell you something? I, I think you're all really comfortable with my wife and I working together as a team aren't you she has a role i have a role we play it well together we, we're a good team we sing together we minister together we visit together we pray together we teach together but how much of a problem would you have if i said now now honey i can't get up there and preach tonight unless you can you get up and introduce all this to me for everybody for me and and then and then guys listen to her oh i just I, i'm gonna sit back here until sarah's done you'd be like what what a big old whip that guy's a whip, right? You, you'd want me to do what God's called me to do. I think you get it, right? Well, then why won't you? Then why won't you? Do you know how many churches are filled with women who come to church without their spouse? That's the same thing. You say, well, pastor, it's fine for you, but don't you go pick it on me. Well, come on now. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't 
I'll have to wear, are my jeans clean? I hear these dumb things all the time. <laughs> what, do they wear, what do they wear there? They won't let me come in there. There'll be a bolt of lightning when I walk into that place. That's a bunch of stupid excuses. You're just a wimp. You're not a man of God if your wife can take your family to church when it's your job to lead them in the first place. You're the one that sets the alarm, man of God. You're the one that wakes everybody up. And i tell you how I used to do it. I used to get the biggest pot in the house and the biggest wooden spoon in the house and dang-a-lang-a-lang. Get your honey out of bed. We're going to church. Why? Because it's my job. Not hers. Right? Okay. All right. Verse 11. Now, Heber the Kenite was separated from the Kenites and had pitched his tent up by the oak in Zaganim which is near Kadesh. Now, that sounds like it's just shoved in there. Like it's, why is that verse there? Who is this guy? Where does he pitch his tent? Actually, if you come down Mount Tabor and you're headed towards Mount Carmel, in that valley, there's a little bit of, uh, there's a river, of course, but there's, there's a little bit of a wooded area and they pitched a tent there. He pitches a tent there and his wife's name is J.L. And they're by themselves. And it seems like that is uh, an, an uninteresting factoid, like it doesn't belong at all. Let me tell you, there's about to be a moment of divine providence where God uses the geography, the topography, and the location of this tent to absolutely destroy an army. And so it's there on purpose. Can I tell you, there, is no, there are no circumstances, no happenstances with God. Everything that's going on in this world, God sees it, had seen it long before it ever happened, and is lining up things so that it comes about to his plan being fulfilled, regardless of what you think is odd, weird, or off the wall, or in left field. God's still in control. And I can almost hear JL saying to her husband at some point, why do we got to live here in the middle of nowhere? We're in the middle of nowhere. I want some friends. Right? As if they're kind of Southern American a little bit. Maybe they're from Georgia. You know, why do we have to live out here, honey? And then God, then God uses it, though, okay? Stay with me. Verse 12. Deborah directs Barak and the army down to the region at that base of Mount Tabor. It's a river basin, right? Then verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots and his army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Okay, so in chapter 5, what's going to happen is you're going to hear about a rainstorm. And it, this, is, this is an unseasonable rainstorm. This happens a lot in the Bible. When it doesn't rain, it's God. When it does rain, it, it's God. M- mostly because the Canaanite uh, deities or the false idols of the area all were connected to rain. It's not that God was connected to rain. It's that rain was connected to God. Does that make sense? Okay, so the false deities like Baal, especially Baal, Zebub, Baal was a rain and thunder God. And so they prayed to these gods, Moloch as well, so that it would rain, so they would have great harvests. Now in that area, being very arid, there'd be a former and a latter rain. There'd be a springtime and a a fall rain. But in between, no rain. The reason why Caesarea comes down with his 900 chariots in the first place is because he ain't expecting rain. The ball game is set up. There's not a cloud in the sky. He comes down with these big, heavy weight, iron, iron chariots 
because he knows that if he brings them into that geography, that he's going to win the battle very, very quickly and get out with not a problem. Only one problem. It's a river basin. Um, they call this area, uh, this kind of area in Israel, Wadi, the Wadi, W-A-D-I, Wadi. When rain comes in, it comes in and there's a flash flood. It doesn't just rain like it does here, you know, in Finley. Like every once in a while we get a little, little you know, cat and dog and we think, oh man, this is intense, you know. I mean, we're, when the Wadi fills up, it's like a, it's a gully washer. And so these guys come in with their chariots. It, it's not supposed to rain this time of year. And they have no idea that there's somebody that's in control of the circumstances that's higher than what their minds can conceive. And God sends a massive rain into the situation. Every one of those chariots gets what? Come on. Stuck in the mud. Can't move. Now, now I want you to see how God does things. Because I, I don't mean any disrespect or honor to the Lord. But we have a word on earth that's called jujitsu, the gentle way. Jujitsu is a way of fighting where if you come at me and you're bigger than me and you're stronger than me, I, the gentle way, I find a way to fight you by using your own weight against you. I don't hurt you. You hurt you. And this is, <laughs> this is why you don't want to mess with God. You don't want to play chess with him. You definitely want to play checkers with him. You don't, want to play, you don't want to play any games with them. Because God just goes, oh, you got chariots? I got rain. <laughs> oh, you got chariots in a river basin? Even better. I got a gully washer. And I'll bring you right to the place where you think you're the most secure, and I will turn the tide against you so that everything you brought to the fight, everything that you brought to the battle is now used against you. Imagine a chariot, you're in it, and now it's stuck, it can't move. Israel don't have any chariots, but you know what they do have? They are great with slings, and they are great with a sword. Actually, there's an archaeological dig that found, we, we have a moment after Moses where we're going into the promised land, and Joshua had invented the first sword with a curve on it. And the reason why that sword was so deadly in battle is because as you came close up, you could actually defeat your enemy and strike your enemy and just keep walking, keep running. It had a curve so that you could keep going and keep winning. So you're stuck in a chariot, you can't move, and here comes an Israelite army that's pelting you with stones. And 10,000 of these guys have these curved swords, and they're coming through and just taking off heads. You can't move. Everything you brought to the party is used against you and that's what happens here it's like snow in july like a blizzard in july <sighs> then the commander the big old fat cesara right the one who harmed women who molested women who raped women right that was part of his mo he gets out of his chariot the bible says he begins to run and guess where he ends up at that tent at that tent pitched in the middle of nowhere he comes in and what does he say <laughs> verse 18 jl went out to meet Cesara. she said to him come my lord right on in <laughs> don't be afraid so he entered into his tent now i'm going to tell you why he entered in it wasn't just because he was tired it wasn't just because he was scared and it wasn't just because okay are you with me all right all right 
So he entered into her tent. She covered him up with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Give me some water. She opened up a skin of milk. Is that water? Mm-mm. Anybody have a nice warm glass of milk before? Have one in the middle of the desert. Yeah. She gave him a drink, covered him up. There you go, my big warrior, you. You take yourself a little nappers. She begins to maybe sing him a lullaby. Verse 21, then J.L., Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, and she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Bet you didn't see that coming. Neither did he. He didn't see it coming either. She maybe ran outside of her tent and said, nailed it. Maybe she ran outside of her tent and said, stop, hammer time. Who knows? What piercing truths can we learn from this story tonight? Number one, God gives to women the same spiritual gifts he gives to men. God wanted a man to do something. God wanted a woman to do something. God wanted to use both. Instead, the men didn't do what they were supposed to do. That didn't mean that God did not call them. They were called. But they said no. And so then God used a female, J.L. By the way, her name means mountain goat. Not just mountain goat, but wild mountain goat. Okay? This is the first Kill Bill story. The worst Kill Bill story. And God used her instead of Barak. Barak was supposed to get the glory of that battle and then give it to the Lord. And Barak said, I won't go unless you go with me. And that's when Deborah said, well, it's going to go on to a female. God wanted to use both. And both of them could have given him glory. But one showed up in faith. Deborah was a prophet and a wise, respected leader. And the Bible says she was that before the battle started. It wasn't like it came out because there was a need for it and men wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. She was already leading and already being used by God to teach and to preach, speak on behalf of the Lord before the battle. I want you to see, I want you to see this. God did not call any of, our, any of us as men to marry weak, passive women. I did not marry one. I am not attracted to that. I am fully secure in my masculinity to have a strong wife who loves the Lord, who obeys God and will minister for God. It does not bother me that she does that. You want to know why? Because I know that it all comes from God and to God. It has nothing to do with competition. I'm not into competition. I'm the last guy. If all of you get together and you play volleyball and you will put me on one team, I'll quit before the game's over because I hate competition. I love to work with people. I hate working against people. And it doesn't matter if it's male or female. I just want to be part of a team. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe to you, all the glory goes to God anyway. Maybe to you, God can pick and choose whoever he wants to do whatever he wants. And as long as God gets the glory, how about that, church? Right? I didn't raise my daughters that way either. And I'll tell you why. Because I actually read my Bible. I didn't just grow up with a bunch of traditional ideas. I actually read my Bible. I read in Luke chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, 
where Jesus is talking about the group that he takes out into ministry. And in that group, he mentions, watch this, Mary Magdalene, Johanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, many others. All of these women helped and supported his ministry. Why would Jesus pick women to be part of his team if Jesus didn't use women? Stay with me. You think it's no big deal to see that? Think again. He not only invites women to be part of the team, he lets the women actually support the team. At the cross and after the cross. Well, at the cross, we only have John. All the other men ran. I'm not, I'm not advocating feminism or a misogynist doctrine. What I'm telling you is, is there was just one guy left and all the ladies. And what did the ladies do? Fearlessly, they stayed with Jesus. And think about this. After the cross, when Jesus was raised from the dead, the most profound thing that Jesus ever says, I think it's wonderful, when he's raised from the dead, in the book of Matthew, he says this, greetings. Isn't that neat? Imagine you just died. <laughs> think about this. You just died. You went straight to hell, took the keys from death and hell, rose from the dead, and you appear to people, and this is how you do it? Greetings. <laughs> Greetings. And you know, you know who's there to hear it? It ain't guys. It's women. There was a Bible scholar that I loved. He taught a Sunday school, and it was to all kids. And one time when he had taught this very passage to those kids, he said there was a little girl in the audience and he said, what do you think Jesus said when he rose from the dead? And the little girl said, ta-da, ta-da. And I think that's a great interpretation of greetings. Ta-da. Then he tells the same women, watch this, you go tell all the men that I'm alive. Now, this is bad. This is bad for business. Because during that time, you... You didn't use the testimony of women. The testimony of a woman was invalid. You could have two or three witnesses and they all be women and still be invalid. This actually speaks to the validity of the resurrection being a historical fact because Jesus actually chose women to be the first progenitors of the gospel. Why else would he pick women? If that during that time, women were the last to be picked. If you were going to lie about something, you, sure, you surely wouldn't want to pick someone who, who, whose testimony was invalid. And yet that's exactly who Jesus chose. They're the first evangelists of the resurrection. But before the crucifixion and resurrection ever even happened, there's the woman at the well that goes into her city and leads her entire town to Christ. Don't tell me God can't use women. What are you smoking? <laughs> there's, a, there's a reason to have confidence in God because God chooses who you'd least likely choose or pick and then still shows up in power anyway. I'm running out of time, so I don't have much time, but let me just tell you in, uh, in the New Testament, especially in Romans chapter 6, Actually, Romans chapter 16, you'll hear of Prisia, Wania, Eulia, Neurysis, Tryphenia, Tryphosa, 
you'll hear of Priscilla and Aquila, later mentioned six times. Priscilla actually mentioned before Aquila as the ministry of the house church. Wania as, a possible, as, a, as an apostle. Phoebe, Paul calls her diakonos, which means deacon. Mary, Persis, committed for their hard work in Romans 16. Chloe, a prominent woman leader at the church in Corinth. Eudia, and Synthony. Um, that's 25 women that are all in ministry and in leadership in the New Testament. Historian Robin Fox, I love this guy. Robin Fox, one of the largest archaeological digs of the early church. They found that women during that time did not do what the historians thought they did. You see, they thought that women had a propensity to serving the pagan pantheons because the pagan pantheons had lots of female gods or goddesses. So they thought the trend that went throughout Europe and the Middle East was women going over to the goddesses of the pagan pantheon. You know what they found? Women flocking in droves to Jesus. Want to know why? First, let me give you this one dig that they had. In this one tell, that's a, a mound, a dig, where they dug up an early church. Here's what they found. They found out most of the church was made up of females. They found 16 male tunics, but they only... But they found, watch this, 38 veils, 82 female tunics, 48 uh, female slippers, and six copies of Good Housekeeping. They found that. Into... <laughs> that is it. They didn't find lots of clothing from the guys. They found lots of clothing from the girls. And one that blows me away, this one in Fox's Book of Martyrs. A converted Roman citizen by the name of Apollonia was beaten with all of her limbs broken, teeth knocked out, walked through and into a fire and was consumed over renouncing her Jesus for a Roman goddess. These women were serious about Jesus. And women are serious about Jesus today. You're not going to find women being honored in the Muslim faith. You're not going to find women being honored in any of the idolatrous religions of the world. You will find them honored in Christianity. If you're a woman and you serve Christ, you're at the right place. You're at the right place. You're at the right place with Jesus. And can I close with this thought? <laughs> I want to... <I laughs> Deborah writes this song. She writes this song. And in the song, and I gotta skip some good stuff. Do I have, can I have 10 minutes instead of five? Going once, twice? Sold, okay. So in chapter five, verse one, it, Deborah says this, when the princes in Israel, not princesses, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. In other words, my heart is, with the willing volunteers among the people. Then she goes on to say, verse 14, from Ephraim they came. From Issachar the faithful followed us, verse 15. But, watch this, the people from Zebulun risked their very lives, and then verse 17, however, Gilead remained in Jordan, and Dan lingered with the ships. 
I've talked to you about the Danites before. They ended up near Mount Hermon. Their, their uh, tribe actually got wiped out. Um, the Dantel in Israel, it still exists to this day where they worship pagan gods. That tribe got wiped out. Want to know why they got wiped out? It wasn't at first what they did. It was at first what they didn't do. That's all that is required for evil. Come on. It's all that's required for evil to win. It's for good people to do nothing. Right? So she begins singing that song. (laughs) And she says, there are men that did do their job, did show up. God be the glory. Curse the spectators. You see that in verse 23. Curse Miros, said the angel of the Lord. Curse curse this uh, people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. It doesn't say they did anything bad. It doesn't say they stayed back at home in their tents and and smoked uh, uh, Hebrew dope and raided all the tents while everybody else went off to fight. It just says they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Sitting on the sidelines is not for the men of God. Jesus didn't say, watch me intently or attentively. Jesus said, follow me, men. And then lastly, God uses and requires of us simple obedience. Can I talk about the tent peg? Every tent during that time had lots of pegs and one hammer. This was the equivalent in usage of a frying pan or perhaps an iron. It was the woman's job to set up the tent. I know that's a man's job now, but then it was a woman's job to set up a tent. She was taking what she used every single day, very everyday items. You might say she took Sisera into her tent and knocked him clean out with a frying pan. It was everyday stuff. Ladies, can I just tell you something? Where is God going to use you mightily? Big places, but a lot of little places. Everyday little things that you do are changing the course of history. And you say, it's nothing that I, it's nothing that I stay up late with my kids and talk them through an issue. It's nothing that my kids still call me when there's a problem. It's nothing that my kids come to me and they need me to pray or they need me to, speak over their lives you're an anchor it's everything don't say it's nothing don't say it's nothing you are changing history by doing what god has called you to do don't say well talk to your dad come on god called you god called you i want you to see this (laughs) there's the last last thing we'll go home deborah pictures this whole thing and in her song She sings this. This is the part that blows my mind. (laughs) She's singing on behalf of Sisera's mother. She's like, I see Sisera's mother looking out the window, waiting for her fat son to come home. Okay? Are you with me? All right? Now, now scholars say, in in Aramaic or Hebrew, the way this song would come out, it would be like hitting a hammer. Ding. Ding. I see fat Sisera. Okay? You with me? All right? Why is my son Sisera taking so long to return? Oh, because there is so much Israelite spoil. 
to divide up. And then verse 30, watch this. And this is crude, but stay with me. And there's a womb or two for every man. That must be why he hasn't come home yet. God is mocking through Deborah this man's evil heart and what he did to women. And then the same God, same God, takes women to take them out. That's so honking cool. That is the coolest honking thing I've heard in a long time. And all of Israel goes, tell me that story again, who God used? A wild goat in a tent. What'd they use? A frying pan or an iron. Or as they say on the streets, a smooth. Hit him with a smooth. You don't know anything about that. <laughs> Did God use the big army? Not really. What was the enemy up to? You say, well, it doesn't always end that way, Pastor Glenn. It, it, some stories don't end that way. There are some things that perpetrators and molesters and rapists and sexual deviants do. They, that the story doesn't ever end that way here on earth. Let me tell you, the story will end God's way. And God will have judgment. And the same Jesus you thought was petting lambs when he came the first time, who suffered the hammer and the nail and the cross for everyone, will be the same Jesus that will return with judgment. And he will destroy in hell every single soul, every single life that did not repent of their sins and what they have done to his people. It may not always end that way here in the natural, but let me tell you, judgment is coming. And the moral of the story is this. It's coming in a way that will make a mockery out of your strength, world. It's coming in a way that will make a mockery out of what you think your confidence is really in. You think you're big and you're bad now? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And his judgment is coming with him. Hate to quote Tombstone, but there it is. <laughs> Tell him judgment's coming. And hell's coming with me. You didn't see that show. Okay, stand to your feet. Let's 